I want to go ahead and bring you the Word of God. I have something on my heart. And I, don't, I don't want to run out of time. I don't want to, because I have something I want to say to you. And I believe that the Lord has put this on my heart. And it's something that can help us. I'm not an evangelist, though I've done the work of an evangelist at times. But the Lord called me. My primary calling is that of a pastor. And though we're all supposed to do the work of evangelists in a sense, we're all supposed to care for souls, pray for souls, tell people about the Lord, and win souls. But yet as a pastor, we also have another calling. And that calling is to help, help God's people understand the Christian walk. Help us to figure it out. It's not easy. Now, you listen to some voices, and it's like, oh, wow, you know, it's just so easy. But I think those people live in a bubble because serving the Lord is not always easy. But how do we figure this out? How do we live for God? How do we, how do we see this Christian life, and how do we understand this life in Christ from a biblical, scriptural vantage point, from the right vantage point? Now, I want to talk to you about something today that I want to tell you. I want to describe an experience today that all of you, how many? All of us. In fact, I could broaden it. Every Christian, at one time or another, sooner or later, will go through this season that I'm going to talk about this morning some have called it the hidden face of God. And what is it, Pastor? It is, it is a time when God seems... Now notice my language, my verbiage. There's, it's a time as we're walking with the Lord that God seems to withdraw His presence from us. Now, this is not an isolated experience. Now, I said all of us. I said all the body of Christ. I would say everyone's ever lived for God has experienced this. It's, I, I would say this, this sense, and I use that word, this sense, because it's not a reality, but this sense when we feel all alone at times. We love God. We love His Word. We're serving Him. But yet... There's a sense when we can't feel God. And we feel like God is far away. I'm going to tell you, this is not an isolated experience. But it's found many times in Scripture. Let me, let me show you in Isaiah. Truly you are God who has been, truly you are a God who has been hiding himself. The God and Savior of Israel. Do you see that? That's what one of the greatest men of God ever lived said. Isaiah. What about the psalmist? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Again, the psalmist. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in time of trouble? The psalmist again. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Do you hear the word of the Lord today? And I dare to say that, that every single one of you are saying in your heart, I've experienced that. 
I've gone through that. Come on, we've gone through that. But I want to be very clear as I begin this message. Now, if you won't be distracted and if you'll really pay attention, this is going to help us today. This is help, it's going to help us be stronger during those moments when we don't feel God. But we know He's there. Amen? He's there. Right? I want to be very clear today. This is a feeling, but it's not a reality. Can I say that again? This is a feeling, but it's not a reality. Why is that? Because I'm using very, very purposeful language today. God may withdraw the sense of his presence, but, the, but that doesn't happen in reality. And the, and the reason is, is because this is a very subjective feeling that we go through. But, it's, but the objective fact is this. God has given us some amazing promises. Jeremiah talks in Jeremiah 31.3 of the everlasting love of God and the, the unfailing kindness of God. In Joshua, he said, the Lord said this to him, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. From the very lips of our Savior, he said to his apostles, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And to those Hebrews who were going through a very difficult time. The writer says in Hebrews 13.5, keep your lives free from money and be content with what you have because God has said, in the, in the Greek it's actually a double negative, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. It's like I will never, never, I will never, never forsake you. So here's what I want us to understand. That no matter what we feel or no matter what we sense, we are a people of faith. And we walk by faith and not by sight. And we walk by faith and not by feeling. And no matter what we're feeling and no matter what season we're in, you may feel like God is very close to you. You may feel like he's as close as the mention of your name. You may be in this morning sense the presence of God. But I can tell you this, I was in a prayer meeting one time and I wondered if there's even any use of me being there. I was going through so much. I feel like all the billows were flowing in over me. I felt so numb on the inside. I felt so numb on the outside. I was trying to pray. I was trying to seek God. I was doing what I knew God wanted him to do, but I didn't feel a thing. And I even said, is it even any good that I'm here? And of course it was. Because the word of God says, God is always with us. And hear this. You're never outside of the presence of God. Amen? Now, you may lost the sense, but that's a subjective thing, but not an objective thing. So, so what is it? When we feel this and we go through this kind of season, we're experiencing what the psalmist felt like. Psalm 77. Here, listen to these words. I remembered, I remembered my song in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked. Here's a, here's a man who had a sleepless night. He's trying to sing a song at night. Will the Lord reject forever? No, it's not a good song. Come on, amen. <laughs> it's a sad song. He, he said, will he, will he never show us his favor again? 
Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has his anger withheld his compassion? Here's a man going through a season where he seems like God has withdrawn from him. And he's in the middle of the storm. He's in the middle of the fire. He's in the middle of the battle. He's in the middle of the lion's den. And he's saying, where's God? Where's God's promise? Where's God's presence? Where's God's power and help in my life? He's going through a season where God seems to be distant. So let's ask the question, why? Why do we go through these seasons? Why would God allow this to happen in our lives? We know who he is. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our loving Father. He's the one that watches over us with his eyes. So why would, allow, why would God allow the children that he loves to go through these kinds of things? And what is it like? Well, let's turn it around for a second. We may ask, what is it like when God withdraws his presence? I think maybe a way to understand this is to turn it around and say, what is it like when we feel his presence? Now notice this, it's, it's like when, when, when God shows up and we sense his near presence, it's like, what, it's like what is described in Numbers. Look at this, this is that prayer, part of that prayer. Number six, God told Moses to they tell Aaron to pray this prayer and speak this prayer. It says, Lord, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. Now notice this, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Do you realize that the face of God and the face of the Lord and the presence of the Lord are often interchangeable kind of ideas? When, we, when, God, when God's face shines upon us, it's when we experience his wonderful presence. What's that like? What's it like when God turns his face to us? What's it like? Well, I think it's like Jesus is just right there. Right. It's like when they were having a meeting. And these were, these were house meetings. These were very informal. Many times small gatherings, some larger gatherings. But it, but it says in Luke... Listen closely. Now it happened on a certain day that he, Jesus, was teaching. There were certain, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Now notice this. And the power of the Lord, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. When God shines his face on us, and turns his face to us. It's just like that. It's like we are in the very presence of Jesus. We're in the very presence of God. And he's doing great and mighty things. And we love those moments, don't we? And we long for those moments. It's like this. It's also like when, when God turns his face to, to us. It's like the Holy Spirit is so real. That we could just almost touch it. We feel him in intangible ways. It's when God, he's, he's not withdrawing his presence, he's giving his presence to us. He's allowing us to experience the incredible presence 
of the Holy Spirit. It's like in Acts 2 when the presence of the Lord fell in the, day, in, in the upper room, right? There was no question that God was there. And there was even manifestation, tongues of fire, and there was, they could see fire, and they could hear the wind, and God doesn't always do it that way. But it's God showing up. God has smiled upon them and poured His supernatural presence upon them. That's, that's what it's like when God's presence is poured out. It's like in Acts 3, when there was a lame man at the gate for all those years, and certainly Jesus had passed that man and chosen not to heal him at that time. He had destined it for another time. And Peter and John were going to the hour of prayer. And the Spirit hits Peter. And the Spirit deals with Peter. And he says, silver and gold have I none. What such as I have, give out of thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he starts walking and leaping. And praise God. And it says in about verse 11, it says everybody was amazed. I mean, that's when God's face shines on us. That's when God's presence shows up. Or this description could be almost like it's when we, we sense God doing something by his presence in a powerful way, like in Acts 4. It says this, and after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. That's how it is. When we're, when we're in God's presence and God, I mean, God shook the whole building there. I've heard of this happening before. Not, it's a rare thing. But I have heard of these things happening, that God's presence comes down so powerfully, and you know God is there. So when do those times happen when like, we're, we're experiencing the Lord? I think they happen in times of worship. God in, the old King James says God inhabits the praises of his people. I just challenge you, if just even alone, just begin to worship in the Spirit. Begin to pray in the Spirit. Begin to sing songs. I, I was on, online early this morning and listening and, and viewing a service, I guess it was in Ireland or Scotland somewhere early on. And it was a group of people. There was no music. And it was just a small group of believers. And they began to sing a cappella. And as they began to sing, I sense God. Have you ever begun to worship the Lord? And you just, even in your own private time, do you, do you add worship? In your quiet time. Do you do that? You know recently. Jack Hayford. Dr. Hayford passed away. He wrote over 400 Christian songs. And in hymns. He wrote the song. Majesty. Worship his majesty. Unto Jesus. Be all glory, honor, and praise. Majesty, worship His majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified. King of all kings, so exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. And we begin to sing and we begin to worship. And then all of a sudden we sense God's presence coming to us. That's what worship is all about. It's coming into his presence. And we've had those moments. And we want those moments. We long for those moments. We can experience God's presence 
when we're proclaiming the word. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, it declares that Paul said the word didn't come to you in word only, but in power and deep conviction. That means this, when he was preaching the word of God, there was something of a dynamic of the Holy Spirit among them. Sometimes it's just in quiet time before God and you're just reading the word of God and you sense God is coming near to you. Sometimes it's when we can share the gospel with someone. I begin to share Jesus. All of a sudden, you sense God is there. I think Philip felt that when he was going down to Gaza and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit said to him, go over and speak to that man. He was having a move of God. You can't have a move of God unless you're in a revival meeting. Let me tell you, when God shows up in your Bible time, that's a move of God. If you're all alone in the backside of a desert like Philip was and the Holy Spirit says, do something, you're in the midst of a move of God. And God's Spirit dealt with him and he went over and began to talk to the man. The man was saved, the man was baptized, and then Philip was caught away like Elijah was. Oh, hallelujah. We don't often read that that's New Testament. We always relegate that. Do you know your God can do anything? All right, amen. Now, now think about this. That's just a little kind of a general description of those moments we're experiencing God in worship, Holy Spirit outpouring, prayer time, Bible time, witness time, worship time, and we're experiencing God, and we feel His presence drawing near. That's what it's like. But what's it like when we have a sense that God has withdrawn His presence? I, I think we feel deserted. We're praying and it just feels like it's, not, it's hitting the ceiling and it coming back at us. We're worshiping and we're, 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 we're just trying to press through. But we feel like we're in a worship service all by ourselves. Some have called it the midnight of the soul. Psalm 77. Again, I remember my song in the night. And my heart meditated and my spirit asked these certain questions. It's like this. When God withdraws his presence, or or there again, the sense of his presence. Yesterday, God felt so near, and the next day, he feels a thousand miles away. Why would God do that? Sometimes it comes without warning, and sometimes only known to God. It can come at the worst times. You say, really? The psalmist again, Psalm 10, 1. Why, Lord? Do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in time of trouble? Sometimes the sense, this kind of thing that we, this trial, this absence, this sense of absence of God can happen at the worst time. And we feel so alone. Hard to read your Bible, hard to pray, hard to get motivated to go to church. You're in a battle. You're in a faith battle. Now why? Why would God do something like that? The first thing I would say is this. He doesn't tell us. And I would also say this. He doesn't have to tell us. You get that? He's still God. Listen to this. Psalm 115.3. Our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. He doesn't have a board meeting. 
He doesn't get preachers together and say, well, what do you think we should do? He doesn't go to conferences. He is sovereign, and his ways are perfect, and he doesn't have to ask anyone what he does. Sometimes these seasons of God's withdrawal happen, and we don't know. We have, there's no reason for it. Sometimes it's the S word. Shall I say the S word in church? Many pastors are afraid to say the S word. Sin. Everybody say sin. sin. Sometimes it's because of sin. Or sometimes it's because of sin. Do you know there's a lot of sin in the modern church? There's a, dear, there's a dear brother, and I truly believe he's a brother in the Lord. And they have, he, uh, he is very educated, went to, Cam- went to Oxford, went to, uh, maybe gone to Cambridge, and and he wanted to be a priest, if they have, maybe, it's, maybe that's the wrong language, in the Anglican Church of England. It's in England. It's in, in England. And he began to stand up against same-sex marriage and saying, this is not God's order. This is not the teaching of the church. The church in England is accepting all this stuff. They're blessing same-sex marriages. And this gentleman, this brother, this man of God, has begun to take a stand against these things and said, this is not marriage. This is not what the Word of God said. It came time for him to be ordained. And they said, no, 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 we're not ordaining you. They refused his ordination after all that time. He wanted to be whatever they call him there. And so he went to another church, another whole group that said, hey, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll ordain you. Wow, a lot of sin in the church. People want you to change your message to suit their lifestyle. We're not changing anything. God doesn't change. Come on. His word doesn't change. We have to change. We don't preach an accommodating gospel. We have to call people to repentance. And I realize there's times that we're doing all the things right and we're seeking God and we're loving God and we can have that sense of the withdrawing of God's presence. But there's other times there is a cause and it's because of sin. We can't have fellowship with God if we're in sin. Isaiah said this, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. He's talking to God's people here. Your sins have Say it with me. Hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. God said, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. I'm not going to walk in close fellowship with you because you've sinned. And we have to let God define sin. Not our modern day liberals define sin. Some of this stuff is busting churches up. Some of this sin is ripping whole denominations apart. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Sin can shut us out of God's presence. The psalmist again, if I have cherished sin in my heart, no offense, cherish. Where's Tim? <laughs> Not the same cherish. She's a woman of God. I had to say that. Come on, man. In other words, basically it's meaning if I'm holding it, I'm holding on to my sin, the Lord will not have listened. You know what happens? We don't talk about this enough. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Have you ever grieved the Holy Spirit? I have to raise my hand and say I've grieved the Holy Spirit before. The precious, wonderful Holy Spirit. I've grieved Him before with sins. 
We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the purpose in this? Why would God do this? I'm trying to help us understand something that may help us as the followers of the Lord. I'm getting real today. Can we be real today? Too much phony surface talk today. Let's get real today. And sometimes God withdraws the sense, there again, the sense of his presence. Because it's impossible to withdraw his presence because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. There's nowhere that his presence is not. I'm talking about the sense of his presence. Sometimes he does this to show us what we really are. Now look, look at this verse. Chronicles 32, 31. This will shock you here. I'm trying to help us today. Look at this. But when the envoys were sent by the rulers to Babylon to ask about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God left him to test him. God left Hezekiah. God took away the sense of his presence. God stepped back to see what Hezekiah would do and to know everything that was in his heart. Do you know what the gauge and the, the measurement of our real spiritual lives is? It's not when everything's going good. It's not when we're on the mountaintop. It's not when everybody's praising us. It's when we're on the bottom. It's when we're going through the fiery trials and we wonder where God is. Whatever comes out at that moment, that's what we really are. That's the mirror that we have to say, that's what I really am. We have to be real with God. Everybody say, be real. See, fiery trials like this, what they do is like, it's like the refiner's soap. The fire brings the dross to the top. And it's in these moments when we have the sense that God is withdrawn. We don't feel him. We don't sense him. It's how we react in those moments. That's, that's who we really are. And, and that's what we have to deal with as the followers of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I've had to look in the mirror of God's Word and say, oh, that's an ugly thing. I don't like that. Let's be real today. So, what do we do now? I want to take us all to Hebrews 12. And I'm going to try to help us through the word of the Lord. What do we do? Because it's one thing to just talk about this. What, what's the action? What are the action steps? What do we do, pastor? If there's no sin in my life that I know of. I know we're not perfect. But we're not, that's not what I'm talking about. There's no known disobedience in my life, pastor. There's no, I love God. I, 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 I try to serve God. I try to live a life that's honoring God. Pastor, what do I do when I go through those moments when I'm doing all that I know to serve God and all of a sudden, Pastor, I come to a season and I say, where's God? I don't feel His presence. What do we do? How do we understand it? Here's the first thing. We're going to look at Hebrews 12 and just kind of touch these. The first thing I would say is Look to Jesus. Everybody say, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Because I can tell you, not only is he our Savior, but he is also our example. 
But he's not just an example. He's our Savior. He's our propitiation. He's the one that died for our sin. But also, he was touched with all the feelings of our infirmities. He's been through everything you've been through. And do you remember him on the cross? Do you remember him? Do you remember him hanging there? He's hanging there for our sins. Nails are in his hands. Nails are in his feet. The crown upon his brow. And he cried out and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you think you're the only one? Jesus hung there, forsaken by God because of our sins. Every person's felt this way, especially the followers of Jesus, especially the prophets that had a very hard task to confront the nations with their sin and their unrighteousness, knowing they're going to give their head on the chopping block, but yet saying, God, I am faithful to preach your word. And Jesus is our faithful Savior. Hebrews 1, 12, 12 and 1 says, We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so is entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race that marks out to us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is set down at the right hand of the majesty of God on high, the throne of God. If you're going through a season like this, look to Jesus. See Jesus. See him on the cross. See him in the garden when they all forsook him and fled from him. See him on the cross. Hear his words in your heart and in your mind. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's the second thing I would counsel us to do. Verse 2. Consider who him who endured such opposition from sinners. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The second thing I would say to us is this. Do not give up. You hear that? Do not give up. You say, I don't feel like seeking God. Seek Him anyway. I don't feel like picking up my Bible. It feels so dead. Pick it up anyway. I don't feel like going to church. Go anyway. I don't feel like lifting my hands. Lift them anyway. I don't feel like lifting my voice. Lift it anyway. Why? Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't give up. If you've given up, you've given up too soon. Don't become weary. Press in to God. I would briefly say this again, re-mentioning this. Discover if there's a sin that God's speaking to you about. Somebody say, oh, I don't know. Oh, you know. Don't give me that. Well, you know, you ever get these folks that lie by dumbness? What? What? I didn't know I ran over your dog and hit your three cars and your house caught on fire. Never saw that. No, I didn't mean to. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Let's stop lying to our conscience. You don't need some, some detail. You know immediately. If you're a child of God and the Holy Spirit's in you, you know what God is telling you. You know. He says this in your struggle against sin, verse 4, you have not resisted 
to the point of the shedding of blood. Many of them did. Here's the thing also I would say. During this moment when you don't feel God, press in and focus on His love for you. Don't allow Satan to convince you. He'll say the craziest things, right? He'll say, God is punishing you for something you did back there that no one knows about. Oh, if they really knew how, what, what you did back there. And he'll wear you out with that. Listen, don't listen to that. That's not the Holy Spirit. Are you? With, that's not God. That's not the Spirit of God bringing those accusations against you. Listen, when we go to the blood, it gets cleansed. When we go to Christ, He justifies us. And no condemnation. Say that with me. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He took all that. And if you're His child, though you may stumble, we all do. It says in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, as a father addresses his sons. Listen to this. Verse 6 says, Because of the Lord's disciplines, the one he loves. If you're going through a tough time right now, it may be hard to handle and hard to hear, but God loves you. God disciplines those he loves. He loves you. He's allowing those things in your life because he's working some greater good. He's working some marvelous work of his glory and honor to form Christ in us. He loves you. I would also say this. Control your mind. Here in the, in the New King James, it says, verse 3, uh, Consider him who endured such hostility of sinners uh, against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Your soul... It's that inner man. It's your mind, your will, your emotions. The mind can become a battlefield, as I've already alluded to. Satan is the accuser. And sometimes some of the great... And I, I thought about something one day. You know what I thought about? Jesus was out in that wilderness being tempted. 40 days, right? Was all that mental, spiritual, and psychological? I mean, he wasn't in a town. He was out in the middle of nowhere, in the desert, right? Was it spiritual, mental, psychological that the enemy was warring against him to weaken his obedience to Father, to be our Savior and Redeemer? I'm telling you, the battlefield in the mind is tremendous at times. And I don't even think, I thought about this this morning. I don't think we know even anyone in this room knows the influence of social media and TV and, and, and media has over the things we even do in this house. And yet we're in this world, but we're not supposed to be of this world. Renew your mind in the Word of God during these moments. I would, I would challenge you also. To completely submit yourself to God during those moments. Now I'm going to get to something in a second. It, verse 9, look at this. Whoever, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us. We respected them for it. How much more should we, come on, should we sub, submit to the Father's spirits and live? Our Father loves us. And if you're going through a season well, you're, you're, you know you're serving God, but you don't sense His presence. Submit to Him. Submit to that process. Submit to the Lord. 
Submit to him at all costs. Whatever it takes, submit to him. Verse 10, verse 10 tells us that we're advancing in godliness during those moments. You know, I think sometimes we're advancing in those times more than we're on the, we're on the mountaintop. I think a lot of times we, we think things are going on and our emotions are fever pitch and we think we're really advancing in God. I, I think the opposite. I think the times when we're really advancing in God may be during these seasons of withdrawal and pain in our lives. Because it says in verse 10, we're sharing in His holiness. Verse 12, quickly, therefore strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. You know what we tend to do? When we go through seasons, when we're going through pain, we withdraw. And all we are is licking our wounds. And woe is me. And I'm going through a tough time. But I would say to you, during this season, reach out to someone else. Strengthen someone else. Hands that hang down. Strengthen those hands that hang down. Find someone else. Forget about your troubles. Pour into someone else. You know, we've been through our battles here. But I found a pastor this week that's going through a really tough time. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to his church. I drove across town, not this, I drove into Dallas, and I said, I'm coming. I'm going to be there in the morning. And I said, I'm going to pray for an hour. And I set my little timer again, and I put an hour prayer. And I got in his sanctuary because he's going through a real tough time. I won't tell you what it is. Not his fault. And a uh, good man, godly man. And I got on my face in that sanctuary, and I cried out to God, and I spoke in tongues, and I cried out to my father for my brother. I mean, you know, when you, when you begin to pray for someone else, it didn't bring you out. When you start strengthening someone else and stop, stop you know, worrying about your own stuff and start worrying about other stuff, and, and it'll work. Amen? Come on, amen? Kind of, amen. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Somebody say help, help the preacher this morning. I'm going to land this in a minute. I told you I wanted to preach. We need this, don't we? Did you need this today or do you need this this morning? I'm going to tell you the body of Christ needs this. Here's another thing I would tell you. During this season, when you have that sense, when you're alone, don't stop praying. Amen. Don't weaken in your prayer life. Right. It talks about the weak knees. Amen. Now that word, it comes out of the Old Testament. It describes a marathon runner whose strength is exhausted toward the end of the race, but must be strengthened. Amen. You run along there. You're running this race, trying to serve God, trying to make it to glory. Don't, don't, don't let the knees get weak. I would say this, and I would say this to me. I'm preaching this point to me. You've got to beware of bitterness. Through this process, I've fought some strong feelings. I've had to repent for, still repenting for them. Look at this, verse 14, almost done. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone, to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. Look at this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no, root, no bitter root grows up. Grows up. And cause trouble to defile many. Why is that? Because we're affecting others. The next verse, verse 15, cause trouble, or, or verse 15, and cause trouble and defile many. We're affecting others. We've got to watch our own hearts. And the last thing I would say during this season is this you've got to guard your choices. Because in a weak moment, choices have been made that you, you can never recover from. Most you can. But there's some big choices that we make in our lives. And sometimes we can never recover from them. Look at this verse, 16. Hebrews 12, 16. See to that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights 
as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, he wanted to inherit the blessing, but he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not, he could not change what had been done. You hear that? He could not change what had been done. Listen, brothers and sisters, it's in those weak moments that the enemy will tempt us, just like he did Jesus, to make those serious choices that can't be undone. God can give us grace. God can forgive us. Why don't we in those moments say, God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to choose to serve you. I'm going to choose to be faithful to you. Amen? Now, I would say this in closing. I do have a little more, but I will end it here. When we're in those seasons, we have to remember this. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. And sometimes very brief. I've had moments like this that lasted only a day, only a few hours. Know this, that your God is faithful. And he will come again with his love and with his blessing. You're not alone. No matter what subjectively you're feeling, objectively, The Lord wants you to remember he's with you. I have two little brief stories and then we're going to receive communion. There was a lady that came to Jesus. She wasn't an Israelite. She wasn't one of the covenant people. Her daughter was demon possessed. Asked the disciples, would your, I'm paraphrasing, would your Lord, would Jesus heal my daughter? My daughter is grievously vexed. And the disciples knew Jesus heard it, but what did he? They're watching him. What's Jesus going to do? Jesus just sat there. How rude would it be to do something like that? But Jesus is not rude. Jesus is doing something in her, he's drawing something glorious out of her. Jesus, would you heal my daughter? She's grievously vexed. And the disciples were trying to cue off Jesus. And, and, and Jesus was, that's what it says. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. Silence. What a choice she had to make. Right? What do you do when God's silent? What do you do when it feels like God has withdrawn his presence? Do we get mad at God? Do we blame God? Or do we do what this little lady did? So the disciples came to him and said, urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. I mean, the, the, the language is, she didn't just say, Jesus, would you heal my daughter? She's crying out. She's desperate. And he's not doing anything. He answered these guys. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Instead of get offended, the woman came and knelt before him. Can I just tell you this? That is a rare commodity today. That is an attitude of humility that is a rare jewel today that is very rarely seen, even in the church. She knelt before him. Lord, help me. Help me. 
He replied, still testing her faith, it is not right to give the children's bread and toss it to the, to the dogs. What's she going to do? Yes, it is, Lord. She said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. This is all Jesus wanted. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. This is that faith that says, I will get what God has promised. I will not give up if I don't sense his presence every day. If he feels a thousand miles away, I'll believe that he's right with me. If his promise and the fulfillment of the promise seems a million miles away, I'll say I'm going to trust and stand on the promises of God. And he says, great is your faith. Your request has been granted. Your daughter was, your, and her daughter was healed at that moment. I want you to stand.